1: go to linkedin.com results to claim your credit that's linkedin.com results terms and conditions apply take with your minds I will say this about investing everything you do learn at what well, I learned at 20
2: is
3: Welcome back to another episode of Equity Mates, or should I say greetings time travellers and welcome to Investment Through the Ages, the podcast that takes you on a thrilling journey through the corridors of finance and investing. With the help of your inquisitive minds, we'll unlock secrets from the dawn of currency to futuristic financial trends. Ready to evolve from mere mortal to a seasoned investment time lord? Well, this is the podcast for you. My name is Bryson, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? I'm very good, Bryce.
4: <laughs> I <laughs> still have some getting used to the uh, these new and different intros, but um, oh. that was uh, a timeless uh, introduction. Timeless, yes. Yeah, that was um, you being a time traveler. Correct.
3: C- congratulations. You're good at this. We wow. are time travelers. <laughs> yeah.
4: ChatGPT often gives the theme know, in yeah. the start that, of it. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going to um, I'm gonna have to blank that out. Next time we do it.
4: uh, Also, feel free to go more niche. Like, ask ChatGPT, "What would an introduction sound like if uh, Justin Bieber delivered it?" Sure, sure. Well, (laughs) or like Nemo from Finding Nemo delivered it.
3: Nice. Well, um, producer Sasha, you've heard the request, so next, (laughs)
4: yeah, give us a challenge (laughs) next week.
3: Next, (laughs) I don't know how I'd go doing a Justin Bieber specific intro, but hey, I'm open to anything.
4: Well, you you just read what ChatGPT gives. <laughs> that's that's very
3: true. Anyway, if you've just joined us for the first time, welcome. This is a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Today we are uh, we've got three segments. We're going to kick off with some earnings season highlights. We've got a call with uh, a listener, Liam, to discuss the pros and cons of investing in ETFs or just owning the stocks individually. And then we close out with another question from a listener. This time from Alex all around. A comment that Ren had made on one of the most famous investing books. So we'll pick that up towards the end of this episode. But Ren... I'm
4: sure it was a thoughtful and considered comment. (laughs) As always, always.
3: (laughs) Now we must remind you that while we are licensed, we're not aware of your personal circumstances. So any information on this show is for entertainment and education purposes. Any advice is general advice. But we're back in the studio, and earnings season has, is well and truly in full force mm. here in Australia, Ren, and uh, well, and overseas as well. But um, we've done yeah, a bit we've of
4: kind a, of we kind of got through a lot of America. Oh, there's still some America to go. Um, but yeah, we're in the final days of Australia as well. We are, we are.
3: So we've pulled out some stocks that have caught our attention, both good and bad, uh, and we're going to uh, have a look at some of the highlights. And we, we've we've got to start with. The stock of 2023, Ren, and that is NVIDIA, it reported overnight Mm -hmm. and there was much anticipation. Here's
4: the question. Did it live up to the hype? Now, for people who are unfamiliar with NVIDIA, it makes, well, it designs the semiconductors and chips that, uh, they power a lot of things, but particularly this year, they power A.I., the NVIDIA's H100 chips are probably the most sought-after piece of hardware in the world. Mm-hmm. They go for 40 grand a pop. It's crazy. There's a massive wait list to get them. And I think Saudi Arabia bought like 3,000 of them last Thousands, week. Thousands, yeah. yeah. so that's like, what, $120 yeah. million. Dollars. Yeah. Imagine just getting it. Should we buy one? We wouldn't be able to.
3: Oh, you don't think so? I don't
4: have 40, 40 grand
3: sitting around. No, yeah, that's yeah, anyway, Put on the balance sheet. <laughs> <laughs> Surely it's... You wouldn't know what to do with it. Just sit it in our room.
4: <laughs> just sit it here.
3: It's, a, it's an asset, surely.
4: Anyway, um, so Bryce, NVIDIA reported, mm. did they live up to the hype?
3: So what happened was a number of months ago, they reset expectations for the market and said that we uh, we are going to experience an absolute boom in revenue off the back of the demand for our product. And so the, the stock went nuts. So you, we assumed that the expectations were built in and... Overnight, they reported revenue of $13.5 billion, which was a 101% increase on last year. Oh, my God. <laughs> And not only that, but they did manage to beat Wall Street expectations. The expectations for revenue were 11 billion, so they beat expectations by two and a half billion. And as as a result, the the stock has jumped in after hours trading. So the dream continues for Nvidia and its shareholders. It's one of the best performing stocks of 2023. Incredibly hyped. It's hard to tell when this is really going to stop. And and as you said, Ren, it, it has a product that is. Highly sought after, and with the the rise of AI at the moment, it's it's hard to, to see where where that ends. But it did manage to beat, and as a result, its stock price jumped, and we saw the uh, the ASX and the Nasdaq rise as a result as well. So, full credit to Nvidia.
4: Yeah, full credit. <laughs> Let's come back to Australia though, because there's so many companies that we could talk about, and it feels like we should cover off Australia in this episode. Now, we have both been away for a few weeks and so we've missed uh, reporting season or most of the day-to-day of reporting season. And so we've sort of come back and uh, we've had a look at results of companies that we own or companies that are on our watch list. Um, And I guess before we get into the individual companies, what's been your general vibe, opening the AFR for the first time? Uh, in, after a few weeks in Italy, getting very tanned. <laughs> what was your general vibe of reporting season?
3: General vibe, pretty neutral, to be honest. That was my vibe. Yeah. Yeah. There was nothing that was like, we're doom, we're gloom, but, th- but they didn't also feel like, you know, we're, we're, out, we're out of this and, and everyone's... Uh, there was, it seemed like there's qu- quite a mix of, mm. of results um, across industry. But yeah, I didn't take any t- anything too negative. What about you?
4: Yeah, I think that's the same. It feels like, it, it feels mixed. Like we'll get into some of the results. A lot of the results, you know, profit was down or revenue was down for a number of notable companies. But it kind of feels like it could have been worse based on, you know, cost of living, the economy, inflation, interest rates, all of that stuff. The ASX 200 is down 2% um, in the last month. Yeah, And we know that share price movements around earning season or reporting season a more a function of expectation and how companies go against expectation rather than how companies are actually going and what their results have actually said um but it feels like it's okay with the caveat that some guidance that we've seen yeah. sort of suggests that the worst may be to come but i also feel that like if i was a ceo i would be giving soft guidance Just because there's so much... In the face of uncertainty, you go conservative is kind of what I'm saying. Rather than... Yeah, like you would be a brave CEO to give really bullish guidance just knowing that like the economy is a bit fragile and consumers are a bit fragile at the moment. Maybe I'm just being overly...
3: It's an environment where you can give... There's there's leeway to give soft guidance.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. You're not going to get punished too hard (laughs) for giving soft guidance. (laughs) All right. So, I guess that's the general vibe. It's like things are okay... And like some companies are reporting good results, Qantas, best profit ever, but we'll get to that. Uh, but it's like what, what's to come is sort of, the, there's a bit of uncertainty, a bit of concern. So let's get into it. What are some companies that caught your eye?
3: Well, one, one that caught my eye, I'm not invested in it. I don't follow it o- uh, often, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> good but good it, we've had people on the show talk about it and it, and it was part of the wax Back in the day.
4: For people unfamiliar, the Wax?
3: Wax is Australia's equivalent of the Fang. It was Wise Tech, Altium, Appen, Afterpay, Zero.
4: Nice. <laughs> so Australia's like high flying tech stocks.
3: Yeah, which arguably needs to be redone now. But, well, um Yeah, because Afterpay. Yeah, yeah Afterpay's gone. WiseTech got pumped, which we'll get to in a second. Still, um, a, still a great company. Still a great company. Zero doing well. Anyway, Altium is back. It makes software used by electronics designers, so chip makers. It's one that was spoken about in the...
4: To help design the circuit boards.
3: Yeah, so one that is part of the AI boom. And uh, they've been able to transition their business to a cloud-based software. And the main product is called Altium 365. 365. And it reported um, great results. And as such, uh, its shares jumped 20%. But what, what is interesting is this is a bit of a turnaround story because when it was only a couple of years ago that Altium was in takeover talks and was sort of on its knees. So they've certainly been able to turn it around and, and benefit from the AI boom. So that caught my eye. But as I said, not one that I'm invested in. But I'm sure there are plenty of equity mates uh, community members that uh, do have their eye on this one, given that it's spoken about on the show.
4: Mm. Uh, I read some analysis from Jarden, the investment bank. Uh, shout out to Elise Kennedy, who's the tech analyst over there. Yep. Her thoughts are, we continue to be cautious as Altium is increasingly reliant on price to drive its aspirational targets. The PCB, which is Printed Circuit Board, the PCB market is mature and we're concerned about the sustainability of ARPU, which is Average Revenue Per User, Mm -hmm. against strong competitors with a smaller total addressable market than tech peers. So, your headline was Altium was back? Elise, is, Elise's is, caveat is, is just... Is potentially back, I said. Is, is just uh, be mindful. Well, it's
3: back from a share price point
4: of view. Yeah, no, no. no. I, hey, I'm not disagreeing. I just, <laughs> nah, it's good. It's good. I, I just had good, input, good input.
3: <laughs> but, Ren, we've got to move to, you know, Coles and Woolworths. They've both reported in the last few days at the time of recording, 24th of August. Um, and there's been some interesting takeaways. Yes. So, firstly,
4: a lot of of literal takeaways. Yes,
3: (laughs) yes, literal takeaways. So, firstly, both of them posted profits. Coles posted a billion dollar profit on the back of bumper sales, and Woolworths posted a $1.6 billion dollar profit. You know, they both benefited from price inflation and also both are seeing a shift in consumer buying behavior and buying more of their own brand products given the cost of living crisis.
4: Yeah I mean they you would expect Coles and Woolies to do well in this environment Mm. as uh, people tighten their belts they stop going out as much they stop and you know they, they buy more groceries and cook at home they stop going to the pub as much and instead they buy booze and drink at home. Yep. And then also rather than buying branded versions of alcohol and groceries, yep. they buy own their brand. own brand versions and that's good for Coles and Woolies as well. So this is like big box supermarkets are as consumer staples or like defensive as you can be and not surprising.
3: Yeah, but what was interesting that came out of this is they both – made it clear that they have seen a significant increase in theft. The literal takeaways. Literal takeaways. Both um, are seeing, you know, above average, more than above average. Coles has experienced a 20% spike in theft and Woolworths has also said that theft is now becoming a major issue because of the cost of living, living pressures. Yeah,
4: it is It is fascinating. The, the whole uh, theft from supermarket story is is a really like just it's fascinating it's organized crime yeah like there's obviously you know you scanning your broccoli as brown onions and no reaction <laughs> no. <to it>. okay <laughs> like but but it's organized crime and then they there's huge rings of supermarket thieves and then they go and sell those groceries in like On black, the black, market. black market supermarkets. yeah It's wild. It's wild. Like the Lost team when I was at Coles, you know, they would work with the cops and they would break up like organized crime rings. Yeah. You just don't think that. You just think it's (laughs) It's one single person. It's scoundrels scanning everything as brown onions. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It's unbelievable. So both are facing it. It's hurting their profit margins. Interestingly, though, Coles came out and despite profit, their share price sunk 6% on the news. Woolies came out and their stock rose 3% on the news. So mixed results from a share price point of view. But Ren, something that I found, given that I used to work at Woolworths, found alarming and reading um, some of the investment calls, a question came from a well-known analyst, David Errington. Did you know that there's been two deaths at Woolworths this year? Oh no! Yeah. So someone was crushed by a floor cleaner in a store and another person was crushed by falling pallets oh in God. a DC distribution center. Yeah. Wow. Two. And so the analysts were pumping Brad about how can you still be giving out bonuses to management and stuff when... People have, died. People have died and so he's stripping back still paying but they're stripping back bonuses and they're, they're doing this ins- extensive review of every single piece of equipment in the business and like overhauling safety and like Brad was obviously like there is no monetary compensation for lives but I was just like wow like heartbreaking to hear. Very intense. So two companies that caught my
4: eye, obviously housing is front of mind for everyone in Australia and uh, in particular for you and I at the moment because we are taking the first tentative steps on our property journey, which mm. is figure out how much we can <laughs> borrow and oh, then realise what that actually gets us, which isn't much. <laughs> But when you're thinking about property and it's a reporting season, there are two companies that we can look to to get a sense check of the property market. And they are the two big real estate listing portals, REA Group, which is realestate.com.au, and then Domain. Now, both of them had down years. So, um, well, at least from a profit perspective. REA Group's profit was down 9%, while Domain's profit was down 28% percent and domain well I mean it was because of a drop in listings mm, in real true, estate true, listings. True, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a couple of takeaways. The first one is, you know, sometimes property companies do struggle. <laughs> Surprising in Australia. Surprising. But often when we've spoken to experts or in things we read, you hear about if there's two big companies, the better company or the bigger company will often trade at a premium. And so people often think, Oh, I'll get the second one because there's a bit more value there. But the lesson that sort of is taught over and over again is that like you want to be investing in the best in class because they're going to be more resilient and they'll grow more. And then it's just, for me, it's interesting that uh, when you look at this REA group, the bigger, the is, the more premium, often trades at a higher valuation um, to domain. But when things got tough, their profit only fell 9% whereas domains yeah. fell 28%. A thesis, which I'm just throwing out there, you'd have to test, is that if people decided I don't have the money to advertise on both platforms. I'm just going to advertise on the platform where there's more users and there's more listings and that's REA Group. And so maybe that's why they weathered the last year a little bit better than Domain. Who
3: even uses Domain, honestly? So Alice, (laughs)
4: my partner, uses Domain and sends me listings on Domain. No, no. And I use (laughs) REA. It's so much better. I'm also a shareholder of REA, full disclosure, but I've downloaded Domain. Oh, you've because I am nothing him not... to the dark <laughs> <Yeah>. side. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mate, it's all about compromises, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Fair, cool.
3: Why doesn't she compromise and get on REA? What you need to do is start pumping her with links.
4: I, I have no response to that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs>
3: all right, what are, what are some other uh, companies that caught your eye? One that I just thought was interesting. You don't often hear companies apologizing too much, but Domino's came out and apologized for putting prices up too much. Over right. the last year, because of inflationary pressures, they realized that it's they put them up so much that it has impacted their sales volume, and uh, so they're now going to r- reduce their prices, but not necessarily the pizza price, but some of the surrounding service costs. So they're removing their delivery service fees and reviewing, I guess, the input some of the input costs because I think they went a little bit too hard on uh, on the on the increase in prices. So I just thought that was interesting. And another one, Ren, Wise Tech. This is just classic markets. Listen to this. Revenue up 29%, earnings up 21%, dividend up 31%. However, slightly missed expectation, stock down 20%. Yeah, it's a classic <laughs> it's a just classic. yeah, expectations credit, are solid solid results just misses um, expectations and gets pumped but wise tech continues to be one of australia's leading tech companies
4: Yeah. yeah yeah there
3: was a classic example
4: of that the strangeness of earnings season that was shared on our instagram walmart smashed expectations and target had a weak second quarter but walmart was down two percent and target was up two percent classic and that that is even walmart didn't just smash their previous year they smashed expectations but they were still that's it. weird yeah i think it must have been about Not God, enough. it must be oh, about guidance, guidance going right. forward yeah, yeah. yeah but it's just like movements in share prices can be so misleading to like what's actually yes. happening with the underlying business. Yes, absolutely yeah
3: all right Ren, well before we move to our second segment with a call what else caught your eye
4: so a couple o- a couple of ones that I'll just quickly rip through. CSL, Australia's yeah. biggest healthcare company, was previously Australia's biggest company. They just continue to go from strength to strength. Despite a warning from the company last quarter, their revenue was up 31%, profit up 20%, net profit after tax up 8% and a strong outlook going forward. It's, it's a pretty amazing story that CSL is building. Temple and Webster, we had a bit of fun with this uh, online furniture retailer because they were one of the first companies in Australia to really try and ride the AI hype train. Still
3: are. They are? They still are. Try- yeah, they're still very much in the press about it. Okay. Yeah.
4: Yeah, they reported a 7.2% decline in sales and a 30% decline in profit.
3: I tried to find what it is that, the, like, all they say is AI, AI. No, no, no. They, they've they said it. Yeah, it's just changing the description of all their products. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
4: they've, they've rewritten all their product descriptions with AI. And I yeah. think they're using it in their customer service stuff yeah, okay. as well. Like there's a chatbot and all that stuff. Right, right. Yeah. Um, hey, you got to do what you got to yeah, do. Yeah. Uh, ASX caught my eye. The, the stock exchange itself is a listed company. Its profit fell 38%. Due to costs related to, no surprises for guessing, their failed chess replacement project. So, that is just the gift that keeps on giving. I would assume it's probably now all in the rear view. I would assume. Mm, mm. Qantas reported record annual profit, a $500 million buyback. It is raising some questions now about the amount of money they got during COVID, which... I get it's also a bit tough because it's like that was then, that was then and this yeah. is now. Oh. Yeah. yeah, if they didn't have money then they didn't have money then. But it is maybe drop the price on some of your flights, Qantas.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, apparently the <laughs> level of complaints against Qantas that the government are just burying is getting ridiculous. No way. Yeah, like all time highs kind of vibe, and there's. We
4: yeah. we did an episode on the dive, uh, and by we I mean I was on holiday, so I had nothing to do with it. But Sasha, our <laughs> producer, did an episode on the dive uh, where she spoke about uh, ghost planes. Yeah, because Emirates want to do more flights to Qatar. Ma- Is it Qatar?
3: Yeah, I think it's Qatar. Yeah,
4: a non-Australian airline <laughs> wants to do flights. I think it was Emirates. No, it's Qatar. Okay, yeah. um, I was on holidays. Uh, <laughs> they want to do more flights to major Sydney airports like Melbourne and Sydney. But they can't, so they're doing these things where they say they're flying to Adelaide but drop all the passengers off in Melbourne and then yeah. fly an empty plane to Adelaide <laughs> to get around it. Yeah. But they've asked to they've asked the government for more flight slots and they can't get it. Mm. And it's like why? Like let competition in. I know. Put some price pressure on Qantas. The
3: government says jobs. But anyway. <laughs>
4: um uh, one more notable name and then let's move on. Uh Magellan. Yeah. Share price up 18%. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. But I
3: didn't want to say anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, so if you have uh, a stock that caught your eye during reporting season, please jump into the Equity Mates Facebook discussion group. We'd love to hear about stocks that potentially haven't come across our desk and uh, share them with the Equity Mates community. Speaking of community, we love getting our questions from you guys. Ask at equitymates.com is where you can leave them. And we'll do our best to uh, to answer them and and get you on the show. We have one that's come in today from Liam. And when he is in a bit of a pickle, he is very bullish on some of the big tech companies, Apple, NVIDIA, Microsoft, and Google, and has has belief in them and has everyday experiences with a lot of them. But he's trying to understand what's the best approach around owning them individually or finding an ETF that still gives decent enough exposure to them and figuring out what is the best investing approach. So we're going to give Liam a call right now to chat this through with him. Liam speaking. Liam, it's Bryce from Equity Mates. How are you going?
4: Good, mate. How are you?
3: I'm well. I've also got Ren here.
4: Hey, Liam. How's it going? Good. Thanks, Ren. How are you? Good, mate. Good. We got your question. Thanks for sending it through.
3: So I guess... um, what, what? Where are you sitting with this? The tussle between owning companies outright and wanting to find the perfect ETF that has just the companies that you want in it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like you should be able to make like a custom ETF. That'd be pretty cool. Good news.
4: We won't get sidetracked with it, but that is coming. It's yeah, oh, okay. I think it started in the US, but
0: anyway. Yeah, it's, it's a while. And way. you can like pick and choose the holdings yourself.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so I I recently, well, a little while ago, I suppose I sort of jumped out of markets for a little bit. We purchased a house, so I sort of needed the cash and that was the purpose of it. Peckle. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah.
3: on, congratulations on doing that, by the way. <laughs> must, must, <laughs> must be nice. Be nice
0: yeah. uh, being, being in real estate myself for a few years, kind of you know a few tricks of the trade, things like that on the inside, so it makes it easy. We'll pass them out. through our way. Yeah. We're
3: trying to find the <laughs> house at the moment.
0: <laughs> we'll edit this bit out. <laughs> uh, okay.
3: Nah, let's let's start stick with stocks and then we'll see where we get to with property.
0: So I'm sort of in a position where we're um, you know looking to jump back in and I've had a look around and I've like... I, you know, I suppose the news is at the moment that the is it the top eight like Fang plus stocks, um, Facebook, Apple, you guys, Tom, mm. yeah, sort of, kind of dominating that Nasdaq increase. Whereas a lot of the other companies in that top 100 are sort of just you know they're they're doing all right, obviously, but nowhere near the level of what Nvidia or Microsoft and Apple are doing at the moment. Like you guys always say, if you know a company that you use and you have belief in, go for them like you know i use apple every day i've got an iphone i'm a massive apple fan microsoft my office all we use is microsoft products google it's google of course youtube all that nvidia i'm a gamer so i you know they they kind of dominate that area compared to amd in my opinion so I, i i have like a personal tie to them and use them every day of my life whereas while I also use Facebook, I'm not a fan of Zucks and all of his sort of outspokenness, and he co- I think he causes a lot more turmoil than what it's worth. Same with Elon as well. Uh, mm. So that's kind of my mindset is, like, obviously owning shares internationally, there's all that extra level of bureaucracy with U.S. tax filings and all that sort of stuff. Um is it more efficient to just sort of bite the bullet and, and take an e- ETF with all of them in it and just accept that you're going to get some other ones that you might not be super stoked with, but, you know, at least it's easy and efficient or is it just better to get them individually and just hold them? So uh,
4: I think there's a few elements to that question. I think on the tax thing, mm. uh, first of all, it's you have to fill out the, what is it, the W8BEN form, but it's not difficult.
3: I'm going to go as far as saying that the brokers these days do it on your behalf when you sign up. There's a signature required, but yeah, you're, you're yeah. not you're not in the weeds no, um, when no. you're signing up to these brokers.
4: So, so my my gut is don't let that yeah definitely don't, don't be a deciding factor. No, yeah,
3: it's never been it's never been a hassle for for me over my years. I've never. Going, damn it! I don't wish I didn't. I didn't own overseas stocks because the tax, the tax on this is too confusing.
4: I, I reckon back in the day uh, when we were with Comsec, they made you print it out and sign it, probably. and then like probably post <laughs> probably. it in. I have a vague <laughs> recollection of that. But yeah, since then, with all the online brokers, it, it is pretty easy. the the way The way it works is so you you basically establish yourself as a foreign investor, and Australia and the US have a tax treaty. When you, when you get a dividend from a US stock, you still pay 15% tax. It's 15% is withheld. But if you sell, there's no US tax. And then you obviously claim it back in Australia. So a little bit on the dividends, but on the capital gains with in individual US shares, you're okay?
3: I think also for me, I'm, I'm cheering at the moment because a lot of the US investments that I have are also benefiting from the Australian dollar being down the drain in terms of, so you've, you've got that USD sort of, currency sitting in there not that i really take that into consideration when buying it's always from the investment thesis of the stock but if i were to sell those I'd take advantage of a low low aussie dollar
4: i guess that would be the same with us ETFs though yeah 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 yes, yeah because yeah. like even if you buy you know like fang plus for example it's listed in australia but you get the 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 stock the underlying stocks are in us Just make DA. sure it's not hedged yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's actually get to answering your question because <laughs> I feel like we're waffling a bit. <laughs> so, I feel like you've got strong feelings on this price individual I don't stocks. I have
3: strong feelings. My my sense is like if you're if you have high conviction in to a, in a in a handful of stocks and why not go for it? We've just come off an interview actually where the expert was saying like you 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 you're better off having high conviction on a, a fewer stocks than Having multiple positions across many different stocks because you run the risk of, of not, of underperforming. Well, and just not knowing them as and well. Ju- exactly. And, yeah, and just, yeah. and needing more time to research individuals. And I think that's where ETFs obviously help. But if you have high conviction on two or three st- stocks, there's noth- nothing wrong with building, building up large positions in, in each of those. My counter argument to that is the stocks that you've spoken about are the ones that are driving this huge returns through the nasdaq and the etfs that you buy obviously give you incredible exposure to those companies and should they over time not be the ones driving growth on the nasdaq you're still going to be owning the companies that eventually replace them and do so that's the longer term play but i don't know if i've helped you there at all (laughs) (laughs) I, i personally own fang plus because i've i've had this predicament i i only own now alphabet and and uh, Apple outside of my Fang Plus, but I've gone heavy into Fang Plus because it's equal weighted and it's all of the companies that I want to be invested in. Yeah, so I I kind of have hedged my bets on, on... those companies in there. But to your point, they're all the companies that I would want to invest in outside anyway. What about you Ren, how do you think about it?
4: So a couple of thoughts. Uh, I, I agree with your sentiment generally that it's like, if you have conviction on a certain number of companies, you should just invest in those companies rather than diluting that conviction yeah. with other companies that you don't believe in. And, you know, looking at Fang+, Plus, it's got a lot of the companies that you mentioned. It's got Alphabet, NVIDIA, Apple, Microsoft. But you mentioned that uh, you thought NVIDIA was a lot better than AMD. But Well, AMD's in Fang+, Plus as well. And, um, you know, if you don't believe in Meta and you don't like Zuck and his cage-fighting antics with Elon and all of that, then... Um, you know, it's in there as well.
3: But you may not like it, but you would have benefited from the 258% (laughs) increase that it's gone through over the last 12 months. So, (laughs) Uh,
4: And I think um, for me, like my approach with something like this and and how I do invest, it's like, it's kind of like the best of both worlds approach. So I don't own Fang Plus, the ETF, but I own, um, you know, just like generic US ETFs where those big tech names uh, move it and they're the majority of the, The ETF, or they're they're at least the biggest weightings in the ETF. But then for companies where I have high levels of conviction, I then buy them individually as well to give myself more exposure to that. And so I think one of my biggest individual stock holdings is Alphabet. And so, you know, I obviously own that in ETFs, but then it's like, because I have conviction, I'll buy it on top. So my, I guess my answer to the question would be like, you can have the best of both worlds and you can get the you know own a little bit of everything and then whoever wins i benefit um world of etfs and indexes and then you can also invest where your conviction lies with individual stocks
0: yeah that's probably a good idea i mean i like the idea of having the best of both own a little bit of everything but then increase your own personal weighting by buying those ones individually
3: exactly yeah 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 the good Uh, thing is they're all uh they're all us and so depending on which broker you use as well they're going to be zero commission on brokerage so you can dip in and out of them with yeah. a very low cost as well.
4: I've been thinking about the build your own index question that we started with as well. And I believe, you, you probably know this better than me, Bryce, but sharesies, um, I think you can you can choose a basket of stocks. That and then is correct. And then like set up auto-invest with that basket of stocks. So essentially that is build your own index, sort of.
3: Yeah, let's keep that at a high level because when i'm not quite certain on the execution of it but i i, I think they do have a functionality similar
4: but to that maybe yeah. let's just say this Liam. it maybe do your own research on Sharesies as a broker because <laughs> they may have partially solved the problem that you're trying to figure out
3: oh yeah
0: funnily enough i am a like most people i've got multiple accounts with multiple brokers but i have used Sharesies in the past and i, I do believe they have a um that sort of thing, like you said, Ren, where you can auto invest in a select few U.S. stocks and just keep it ticking over. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay.
4: Yeah. Okay. Nice. I guess it doesn't. It doesn't do the the sort of the weighting of indexes, but I mean, it's it's half it's halfway there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I suppose the 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 whole ETF sort of debate versus the individuals was mostly around one the added convenience of just not having to worry about that exchange sort of carbon <laughs> fees changing and all that sort of stuff as, as well as all the tax implications but I, I suppose I didn't really understand the tax stuff myself so here's the thing though with this um, ETF thing
3: if you have a broker that gives you zero brokerage and auto invest you can create the exact same thing as a
4: no there's one other thing that you need which is like a really low minimum investment because that's that's the other benefit of ATFs. That it's True, like, you can put in like $2 or whatever. Yeah, and you get yeah. access to everything. So yeah. if, it, if it was a broker that offered you like investing from a dollar... And then you could, yeah. Then you could spread it yourself. But if it's like minimum investment, five hundred bucks, like Comsec, yeah. Then yeah, you're blown out. Yeah. Well,
3: there are the platform, the online platforms to let you do it. But anyway, going down a rabbit hole. But um, Liam, I hope we've been able to, uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope we've been able to provide some clarity. <laughs> if not, just it's been fun chatting it through, and we really do enjoy talking to uh, the equity mates community. So certainly appreciate you um sending the question in and, and supporting the show.
0: Always. Thanks guys for reaching out and having a chat. It was fun.
3: Well, good luck with it. Let, yeah. us, know, let us know what you decide on and we'll, uh, we'll uh, have a chat about it on the show next week. All
0: right. Beautiful. Sounds good. Well,
3: a reminder that if you want to ask a question, ask at equitymates.com is the email or jump onto our socials and send them through. Sasha, our producer, will keep an eye and we'll do our best to, uh, to answer them. Make sure you're also subscribed to our weekly email where you can uh, ask questions as well and we'll get some of Australia's best advisors to answer them. You can uh, subscribe on our email. But Ren, we're going to take a quick break and on the other side, we've got uh, another question from Alex around a comment that you've made about one of the most famous investing books of all time.
4: Yeah, in the break, I'm going to remind myself what that comment was.
1: All
3: right, well, we're back. We've, uh, we've spoken about earnings season. We've chatted to Liam. And now we've got a final call uh, question coming in from Alex. So let's give it a listen and then we'll
2: get stuck straight in. Hey, Bryce, friend. I'm relatively new to investing and I've been getting a lot of value out of the Getting Started and Investing podcast. I've got a question specifically about approaching older investment books, uh, The Intelligent Investor, um, specifically by Benjamin Graham. And in one of the recent podcasts with James Reynolds, Ren, you made a comment um, that caught my attention and excuse the paraphrasing, but essentially it was so many people start investing, get told to read Intelligent Investor, get introduced to traditional value investing, then start trying to apply this to the real world and try to find companies trading below their net asset value, etc. And you quickly realize the rules of the game have changed and deep value plays that made sense in those days don't make sense today and have been arbitraged away. Of course, I've recently bought this book about the day before I heard this podcast and I'm curious what I should take away from reading it in light of that comment, um, particularly how I should interpret the idea that the rules of the game have changed and deep value plays that made sense in those days don't make sense today. Um, I guess in, in your view, is, is a book like this still worth reading? If it is, is there a particular approach that I should make with adjustments in mind to avoid pursuing strategies that might lead to false hope? Um, really greatly appreciate any guidance or insights you could offer on that. Thanks, guys.
3: Nice, great question. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> Love being kept honest here at Equity Mates Investing. So it is a book that I think you and I both picked up in the early days, of Ren, and tried to give a crack. But oh, it's 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 a tough first read as well. Very tough. But it, it you it, it is it's tough. But it is funny that it's one of those ones that always gets put up on lists of like best book to start as an in, you know starting to invest. Read Intelligent. Yeah, investor. yeah.
4: And like, it is a great book, yeah. but um, oh, there's so much stuff I get to plug in this. So, <laughs> uh, in a recent Mates email, um, every Monday we share five of our favorite pieces of content that we've come across uh, and we do a bit of a write-up on them. And then every Thursday we uh, share a question and uh, we get it answered by a financial advisor. In a recent Monday email, I shared an article, Investing's Big Blind Spot, and... Just one of the challenges of investing is the longer something has worked, the more likely it is to stop working. And that is because, you know, early days, a different asset class or a different investment strategy will be discovered or will be thought of and... uh the early adopters of that strategy will make a lot of money because it works. And then more and more money and more and more people will flood into that market and the opportunities that they have to invest in will become worse and worse just because there's only a finite amount of any opportunity. And then, um, but you know, there'll be so much hype and the early adopters will have made money, but eventually that opportunity will go away. It'll be arbitraged away and any value or any um, opportunity Um, will be priced out essentially. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And and that is essentially what's happened to uh, Benjamin Graham's style of investing, that net, net, deep value style of investing. And you don't have to take my word for it because this is the second thing that I get to plug uh, in our most recent book, Don't Stress, Just Invest, uh, available in all good bookshops now. We actually pulled out a quote from uh, Benjamin Graham himself. So, Benjamin Graham wrote Security Analysis in 1934. Oh, another. Oh, that's even harder. That's <laughs> Don't harder. go there. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. like that's like it's 1930s textbook. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he wrote Security Analysis in 1934 and then The Intelligent Investor 15 years later in 1949. Um, he taught at Columbia, he taught Warren Buffett and early days of Warren Buffett's career, he adopted this deep value cigar butt style of investing. But towards the end of his life, even Benjamin Graham realised that the style of investing that he pioneered was being arbitraged away. And, you know, the longer something has worked, the the more likely it is to stop working. Here's what Benjamin Graham told the Financial Analyst's Journal towards the end of his life. Quote, "...in the old days, any well-trained security analysis could do a good professional job of selecting undervalued issues through detailed studies." but in the light of the enormous amount of research now being carried on, I doubt whether in most cases, such extensive efforts would generate sufficiently superior selections.
3: There you go, from and, the man himself.
4: And if you think about him saying that then when there was just more and more focus and more and more mm-hmm. research. Imagine think, now. Think about today with like quants uh, and the, the, the amount of computing resource that is yeah. being put towards yeah. finding those date value opportunities. And that isn't to say they don't exist. This is the third thing I get to plug. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've recently uh, come off an interview with Maroon Yunus, who's the co-portfolio manager um, at Fidelity's Global Future Leaders Fund. We, we unpacked two companies in his fund. One of the companies, a Japanese company, fits Benjamin Graham's style of date value investing, where you can buy a dollar for 50 cents. Mm. Um, and so those opportunities do still exist. It's just the number of them are far less. And where they do exist they often get realized and, you know, the price gets beat up faster. Yeah. Um, and so it's not to say that the book doesn't have merit or the investing strategy doesn't have merit. It's just that a lot of people, myself included, I reckon you as well, Bryce, because I think we were living in a share house in Canberra together when we were trying to do this, is we'll read the book and then we'll, we'll you know, get a stock screener out and try and find yeah, these yeah, deep yeah. value plays. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is there's just less of them. And where you do find them, there's often other problems with the companies yeah. there's a reason that they're so
3: cheap yeah yeah. well uh, that certainly does answer in my mind Alex's question Alex thank you for sending that in and I hope it does help still give the book a read obviously um, taking into consideration everything Ren just said but also don't stress just invest is probably a more relevant uh, book for today's day and age
4: it, so. will, it won't help you with individual stock
3: picking that's true that's very true but
4: um, it'll help it'll help but, I, but yeah I think like still read the book, still learn as much as you can. No. Um, mm. John Hempton, the Australian investor, has this great quote that, I, uh, that has always stuck with me. He said, every new investor should read five investing books. It doesn't matter which five, just read five. There you and go. and I, I think there's so much truth to that because like, even if it's old, even if you know the markets have changed, there's so much to learn about just how markets work and how to think about investing in stocks. So...
3: Well, we've got a recommended books page on our website. if you're That's looking the for some- fourth
4: plug in this segment. We're <laughs> if you're killing look- it if here. If you're looking for
3: some inspiration, head there. Also, jump into the Facebook group. Our whole episode on Thursday is inspired, again, by an Mates community member. We love hearing from you. Keep the questions coming. This Thursday, we're really digging into ESG and how it can be sometimes, I guess, contradictory. Counterproductive. Counterproductive yeah. to, I guess, the, the business outcomes so or, or, or environmental green, outcomes going green yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so a lot coming up it's good to be back in the studio we do hope that you enjoyed um uh the is there money in series we'd love to get some feedback on it we know it wasn't for everyone we will be back with investing content but we'd well, we would just love to get where well, we, we are back content. with investing content <laughs> we would just love to get your feedback because uh you know, it is important to us. So please, if you want to email us, contact at equitymates.com, you can.
4: We'll have a Google form to collect some feedback that will be on the Facebook group and on our Instagram. So more plugs. More plugs.
3: Anyway, we'll leave it there, Ren. It's great to chat as always and we'll be picking it up on Thursday with Kelly Shu, Professor of Finance at Yale.